Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Jesus said, take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear. And um, we realize more and more as we go through the series that it's so important for us to hear from the platform of our spirits, not primarily from the platform of our unrenewed soul. Okay? The, the spirit has a mind, will, and emotions. The soul has a mind, will, and emotions as well. Um, there are two parts to you that are of equal importance in God's mind. With your spirit, thanks, with your spirit, you can engage God, and with your soul through your five senses of the body, you engage the environment of the earth. With your spirit, you can engage the heavens, which is not some distant planet. Please remember this. Don't think of heaven in a sort of Western capitalistic definition as a literal place where there's got streets of gold, etc. There's no uh, place in the Bible that says heaven has got streets of gold. The Bible talks about a street, which is a, refer- a metaphor for the person of Christ himself. We'll get into those issues later on. Okay, So don't think of heaven as some literal distant um, environment outside of our spatial context. Heaven is a dimension. Everyone say heaven is a dimension. So Paul says, in my body, I knew a man. He even says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Um, the, the spirit soul dimension takes place in a body. But Paul says in his body, he was able to, in the third heaven, access things, see and hear things. Okay, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And the spirit said to him, come up higher and I will show you things. Um, this is not something spooky. Spirituality is not something spooky. Right? Get some spooky Christians. This is normal. Okay? It's normal for us to, whilst in our bodies, to access the heavens, which is another dimension of existence. Right? And while in our bodies we can engage the earth. Right? Through our souls. Through the five senses of our bodies. All of this is important for the hearing of the word of the Lord, because whenever God's word is heard, the platform of reception must always be that dimension in man that God has built within you to access the eternal. Think of your spirit as the interface between God in the heavens or the unseen realm and you. wants to engage you. He wants you to live in the earth, but to let your resource or the the place that's going to empower and energize you is his spirit in the unseen realm. His spirit in the unseen realm wants to engage your spirit, right? Empower you to function with effectiveness through your body, by your soul in the physical environment. Do not think of your soul as evil. The soul is not evil. Tell your neighbor the soul is not evil. The soul is absolutely essential because without it you can't live in the world. Through your five senses, you engage it. 
what we are not saying is that we don't want to relegate the soul to a place of, of dormancy or inertia where it's totally in a state of a, veget, a veget, vegetable, almost vegetative state where it's almost like a zombie-like state. No, the soul is intelligible. When the Bible says, do not lean on your own understanding, right? Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. All your ways, acknowledge Him. It does not say, abandon your own understanding. As some people leave their minds at home. <laughs> it just says, do not lean on it as the primary principle by which determines your decisions, your existence in the world. You will use it, but you will use it only to the, to, to the degree as it, the mind of the soul, your understanding, is informed by and led by the mind of your spirit. Okay? So we don't say, we're not saying neglected, um, relegated to some place of inactivity. No, we're saying it's used, but it's used in its proper place and position. Right? Now this is the spiritual man. Everyone say the spiritual man. In our last study, we've, uh, two sessions, we distinguished between the spiritual man, the natural man, and the carnal man. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 3 from verse 1 to 4, chapter 2 from verse 9 to 15, he talks about three distinct classes of sons of God. These are not people in the world. These are all in the church. They're either spiritual, natural, or carnal. And so he says... The, the spiritual man, unlike the natural man, the distinction between one who is spiritual and one who is natural is this. Paul says the natural man cannot receive the things of the, cannot receive the, the things of the spirit. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually uh, appraised. Spiritually examined or spiritually judged. The opposite is that the spiritual man can do that. So the spiritual man has got the resource or the technology to understand spiritual things. That resource is a word-illuminated spirit. A, a fully developed spirit man. His spirit man is so word-full, word-illuminated. And by an enlightened and enlivened spirit, he's got the capacity to, when God speaks from the unseen realm, words which are spirit and words which are life, he's got the instrumentation, he's got the technology to judge that and to interface with that. Okay? You can't measure temperature outside using a rain gauge or using a, a barometer. You need a thermometer. You need right instrumentation to measure specific variable. When spiritual words come from the heavens, the man needs... Certain instrumentation within himself to judge what is being received. Not just to judge it, even to access it. Right? The instrumentation for the spiritual man is a spirit that is pregnant or that is enlivened, that is imbued with the word of the Lord. Your spirit, in, an, in an one sense, is like your God consciousness. It's that, that component that God gave you to have the ability to interact with Him, who is Spirit. Everyone say, God is Spirit. Right? So, the, 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 the description of exchange or interaction between that which is heavenly and that which is earthly is this. It's always 
from he, spirit, capital S, to my spirit, small case S. It's always from spirit to spirit, and from spirit, small S, to the Holy Spirit, capital S. It's always from spirit to, to spirit, right? Paul would consistently say they're in the flesh, um, that op- operate by their fleshly, bodily appetites. Carnality cannot please, cannot please God. Everyone say from spirit to spirit. Language of the scriptures also says from deep to, deep cries unto, deep cries unto, deep. Do you know even when you get saved, he sends the spirit of truth into your hearts that gives you the capacity to cry what? Abba, Father. There are two cries, one in Romans 8 and one in Galatians, I think 5, right? In the one in Romans, it says, we cry Abba, Father. But it says in Galatians, when he the spirit, he the spirit cries Abba, Father. Hmm? He the spirit empowers your spirit giving you the capacity to relate as to God as your Father in the Lord. There are two distinct, distinct cries of Abba Father in the Scriptures. Right? The Holy Spirit and your spirit. The point I want to make is this, that anything spiritual, to, for it to be experienced, accessed, realized, incarnated, in your body must first be engaged in the realm of the Spirit. Right? In the realm of the spirit. So we've got the spiritual man who is like this. An enlivened, activated, word illuminated spirit. And listen carefully. Paul says, unlike the natural man who cannot receive the things of the spirit. Because they are spiritually discerned. And it says, he cannot accept him. Accept them. Why? Because they are foolishness unto him. Right? So what is the natural man? The spiritual man, the Greek word is pneumatikos. The natural man, the Greek word is psychikos. From psych. Psychology, the soul man. Right? The opposite of the spiritual man is the soulish man. Soulish man is called the natural man. Why? Listen carefully. The spiritual man is an alive in spirit interacting with the spirit of the Lord in the heavens. How does the spirit in the Lord in the heavens empower and imbue the spirit of a man? He does it through only one medium, the word of the Lord. You take word out of the equation there can be no spirit-to-spirit interaction. Right? So the words I speak, they are spirit and life. Matthew 10, 20, Jesus said to his disciples, when you speak, it's not you who's speaking to the people, it's the spirit of your Father speaking in and through you. Do you know even now, there's spirit-to-spirit engagement taking place? Even now, so Jesus would say to me, Randolph, even when you speak to your people, it's not you who's speaking, it's the spirit of your Father. Notice, not your father, it's the spirit of your father speaking in and through you. It's always from spirit to spirit. So, if the source of the utterance is spirit, if the character of the words are spirit, he, the spirit, is speaking, the spirit of the father is speaking to sons. If, if the, the character of the words spoken, Paul, Jesus said the words I speak are spirit and they are life. The receptor, the place of the destination, has got to be the spirit of a man. Right? It's always from spirit to, it's always from spirit to spirit. Right? But now the natural man, listen carefully, the Bible says, cannot receive the things of the spirit. Why? It's because he doesn't accept them, because they are foolishness unto him. He, dis, he disesteems them. He reduces their value. And he does not have the technology or the instrumentation even to judge it or to receive it, right? 
So um, the definition of sukikos, Greek scholars will tell you, it's a man who is governed by natural instincts. Right? Natural instincts. This man is governed by the mind of his soul. He's governed by his soulish realm. His soulish realm is the platform from which he functions almost to the total exclusion of the spirit in him. Right? So listen carefully. When God came to Adam as a spiritual man, God came in the Ruach. Everyone say Ruach. Ruach, the spirit of the day. And what did God? God said, He spoke to him. Um, the, ex the exchange or the culture of any spiritual exchange is always couched in words. Right? The environment of words is the environment of spirit. So Adam, a spiritual man, God would come to him, imbue his spirit by talking, discussion. Through talking and discussion from spirit to spirit, Adam's empowered to fulfill the mandate to steward the earth on God's behalf. Right? But listen carefully. When Adam broke that connection, what he essentially was saying is, I don't need to use my spirit to be dependent on he, the spirit, to speak words to me. I cut that whole thing off. I'm my own man. I eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I know. I know how to make decisions between these two realms of good and evil. My eyes are open. I've eaten of the tree. The soulish, so he, he, leaves the, he leaves being classified as a spiritual man. He's now a almost natural man, functioning independently from a word-illuminated spirit. The natural man says this, I don't need God. Right? I am my own God, New Age. Right? So, um, I will engage my world. So things like environment and culture and cultural norms have a huge impact upon the soulish man. So he functions from that, that realm. So natural preachers will say homosexuality is fine in the church. They will even condone same-sex marriages. What's happening? They're saying, no, we can decide what we want. We'll look at the scriptures and we'll justify our position. Right? Why we've cut off the word that should imbue our spirits, that should inform the mind of the soul. Now, the, the greatest point, this is like Gnosticism. If you understand Gnosticism, knowledge, the tree of knowledge, or, or the distinction between good and evil, that platform is so now powerfully built within Adam, and he functions from that realm. So it becomes a creature of context, a creature of environment. Right? Now let's go to the third man, which we're going to talk about tonight. The third man is the carnal man, the sarkikos. So we've got the pneumatikos, spiritual man. The soulish man, the natural man, is the sukikos. Right? The last man, Paul says to the Corinthians, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, he said, brethren, now he's not talking to the world, he's talking to brothers. Brothers, I could not speak to you like spiritual. I can only speak to you as what? Carnal. Right? For you are yet babes, infants. Howbeit I hear there's strife, jealousy, all these things among you. Are you not yet in your sin? Right? So the degeneration is from spiritual to natural to, to carnal. Now the carnal man is this. If you think of it as body, soul, spirit, the, natural, the, the, the spiritual man is in totally, uh, he totally functions by the, the realm of his spirit. Now say that a word enlivened, word illuminated, word informed spirit, strong. 
the, in, in, the, in the center of the natural suki cosmere, we function independently from any kind of influence from the word in his spirit. Right? And, and he functions leaning on his own understanding. I want of a better, better description. The sad thing is that you can degenerate to become carnal. The carnal man, listen carefully, the sake cost man is the man that is governed by the base appetites of the fallen nature. Right? The base appetites of the, of, of the fallen nature. Please take this reference down. I, I forgot to include it in your notes. I possibly will include it in next note. I think I did include it somewhere, but it's 1 John 2.15. You know the scripture. Let me just quote it to you. It's a well-known passage. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Um, for he that loves, how do we go? He that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you can't love the world and then claim to love God. And he says, love not two things. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The next verse describes what things are in the world. It says, for the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the the, the pride of life. Right. So now. Um, we'll talk more about that maybe next week. But the, the, the carnal man, listen carefully, is given over to base fleshly needs, base fleshly lusts, right? And he's given over to all kinds of carnality, right? All kinds of fleshly behavior, which we will talk about this evening. I feel sorry for this Christian because this kind of, this is not the world. I'm talking about people in the church, sons of God. This, this, this son of God is carnal in his outlook or her outlook. Um, the, the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit because they are spiritually discerned. doesn't have the instrumentation. The spiritual man does because he has a word alive in spirit, appraising spiritual things, doesn't regard them as foolishness, etc. Yeah, the carnal man, given over to the, to the sin nature, basically, he, he sub, I'll, I'll demonstrate this tonight. He subconsciously erects a barrier that actually prevents the word coming to him. So yeah, now he's got, he's got no point of reference. Right? His conscience is potentially threatened to become dull. Right? And if he's given over to the flesh, he's going to reap corruption, death, and decay, the scripture says. Okay? Now, that's basically the framework of tonight. Let's go to page two. Now, that were, all that basically is just my, my way of saying the whole of page one. <laughs> I just said it in my own words. Okay, you can read it in terms of how I wrote it there. Page two. Everyone say, set the mind. Now, listen carefully. The essential factor in determining what facilitates the development of a spiritual, natural, or carnal man is one factor, I, I believe. It's simply where the person sets his mind. And I'll show you a few scriptures. Colossians 2.18 Let no one keep defrauding you for your prize by delighting in self-abasement. And the worship of angels taking his stand on visions as he has seen, inflated without cause by what? His? Everyone say fleshly mind. So this is a mind. The mind of the man has accommodated fleshly pursuits, fleshly endeavors. Romans 8 verse 7. 
But the mind set on the flesh is what? Is hostile towards God. It is not subject, does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. That's dangerous. Underline that because here the carnal man sets his mind on the flesh. And the mindset of the flesh, listen carefully, the Bible says is antagonistic towards God. You war even against God himself. And listen carefully, it says in the latter part, it does not subject itself to God's principles. And yes, the frightening thing is not even able to subject itself. So even if there was an inclination, it seems as though the possibility exists that this man is then left powerless to even submit to something he knows to be true. Right? Now we don't want to get to that level. Right? We don't want to get to that level. I pray that we don't ever, ever get there. Now, look at this. Please let me, let me explain what I wrote there. Just let me preach rather than teach. <laughs> Listen carefully. The mind of your soul, the will of your soul and the emotions of your soul, the entirety of your soul needs to be renovated, renewed. It's done so progressively through time. Right? The word of the Lord is designed to restore the to restore the soul. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do to the soul? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Right? First Peter 1.21, it says, um, by obeying the truth, you have purified your soul. Soul is purified, renewed, renovated, um, simply by the obedience to the word of the Lord. Now listen carefully. The soul, the mind of the soul, listen carefully, is like in a, a context. It's in a, it's pulled in two different directions. It's pulled either to the spirit or it's pulled to the, to the flesh. The flesh and the spirit are vying for dominance over the soul. Flesh and the spirit are competing. For, for, to, be the, to be the greatest influencing factor over the soul. That for me basically is the sum total of the struggle. Yes, the mind of my soul, the area of the soul that needs redemption. Yes, the spirit man uh, that is, has the potential by being illuminated with the word of the Lord to influence this realm positively. Yeah, is the body with its fleshly appetites pulling this mind of the soul to its way. So the Bible says, a mind set on the flesh is death and corruption. But a mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The critical thing is, where the mind is set will start to characterize the person, ultimately. Wherever you set your focus, it's like this. The nature you feed will be the nature that will be predominant. It's all a matter about which area in your life are you focused upon and building up. Tell your neighbor, this is war. This for me is the greatest battle of the ages. Great men have fallen simply because they've allowed the flesh to dominate the mind of the soul. Great men have fallen. right? Other great men have succeeded in God simply because they allowed a word imbued, a word illuminated spirit to be the predominating influencing factor over the mind of the, of the soul. That's going to be your make or break in life. It's going to be the thing that's going to cause you to succeed or fail. Okay? 
there is an interesting, that is why uh, uh, Paul, Paul, James said, the double-minded man is unstable in, in all his ways, right? So you can be fleshly minded, says in Colossians 2.8, right? A fleshly mind, or you can be spiritually minded. So double-minded man, James says, is unstable in all his ways. This vacillation between flesh and spirit, right, um, brings instability to, to the nature of man. That's what David prayed, for thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. You, right, my heart to fear your name, right? Bring about a singular position within me, listen carefully, the mind of my spirit and the mind of my soul are so one that, listen carefully, if you look at it like this, carnality, the flesh is screaming at the soul, bend my way, bend my way, follow my, follow my pursuits. The, sp- the mind of the spirit is saying, no, follow God's way, follow, follow, follow this way. And the soul is caught in this, in this thing between, this tension, this duality between these two positions. So my prayer, you know, a whole human being, person that is whole, that is one, is what we are after. Be whole and be single and be one within yourself. Have no duality or division within you. Right? It's a powerful place of internal unity. Before we can start to uni- unify the body externally, we must first find a whole person, sober people. Amen? So don't be divided within yourself. There's a lovely verse I just found in 1 Kings 18.21. Elijah came near, this is in the ESV, English Standard Version. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two opinions? You vacillate too much. We need to be singular in our pursuit of the Lord. Let's just read these scriptures. We've had them again, but just to emphasize them. Romans 8, verse 5 to 8. Those who are according to the flesh, you can write their carnal, Set their minds on the things of the flesh. Next week I will talk about accommodating works of the flesh. Um, Paul says and others say, make no room for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Like you either make room or you can give it no accommodation. The room you make will be the room that destroys you in terms of the flesh. Right? But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. I really want to encourage you. Tell your neighbor, set your mind on things of the Spirit. You know, like almost, I would say now, I'm so passionate about this. Go overboard if you have to. Play the CDs in your car. Every time you drive, let the Word fill your environment. Uh, fill your house with Word. Play the Word or, or, or good, good Christian music. Right? Um, don't. Allow expressions of the flesh in your home at any level, in your life, at your workplace. It's like the thing that you constantly feed will be the thing that's going to predominate. Right? I really want to encourage you. This is war. Verse 6, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Isn't that powerful? Where are you setting your mind? The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, it's not even able to do so. And those in the flesh cannot, cannot please God. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 3. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died with you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul Colossians says to us, set your mind on things above and not things on the earth. Set your mind there where you are seated with Christ. Where you set your mind will either testify to your ascended position or negate it. Saying Christ is seated is ascended. So set your mind where you are seated with Him. You'll always have this elevated perspective of life. This heavenly perspective of people, of circumstances, of, of things. Amen? On the next page, Galatians 5 verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, we will talk more to this next week. How do we walk in the Spirit so that we can put to death our carnality because our carnality is posing this great barrier to accessing the things of, of the Spirit, all right? our destinies, our unfulfilled prophecies, etc. Right? Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh, now here is the contest. Verse 17 is a very important verse in Galatians 5. You should circle it. This is the warfare. This is a description of the battle. The flesh sets its desires against the spirit. Now that spirit is capital S there. But here the spirit engages with the platform of my human spirit. Right? So the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. And the spirit is also poised against submitting and subjugating the desires of the flesh this is the warfare and these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law what does romans say as many as led by the spirit they are the the sons of god i'll i'll i'll, I'll frame it more um holistically next week but i'll say it just in a sentence here walking and living by the spirit is not a spooky spiritual experience that some Pentecostals make it out to be. Walking and living by the Spirit is to live a normal life in total obedience to principles in the Word of the Lord. And I'll show you from the Scriptures that that is true. Okay? Because you get some strange definitions of what it is to live by the Spirit and what it is to walk by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit is not talking in tongues 24 hours a day, for example. As some people believe it to be. Right? Not listening for some voice coming to the ceiling and leading you as to what clothes to buy when you go to Edgar's, etc. Right? Walking and living by the Spirit is simply, it's simply walking, living a normal life, but making a critical decision to obey every principle in the Word of the Lord. Nothing more, nothing less. We'll, we'll, we'll demonstrate that through several passages of Scripture. That's true. Okay, now, so can you see in verse 17, this flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. This is warfare for dominance over the mind of the soul. Flesh versus the spirit over the mind of the soul. Paul would say the things I want to do, I don't find myself doing. Romans 7. Things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Right? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Thank my God through, through Christ. That's how he ends Romans 7. How does he start Romans 8? 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life. Everyone say life. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and, and death that rules in my body. He explains in the context of Romans chapter 7. Right? And I want to encourage you. We're going to practically walk and work this out. What does it mean to live life by the law of the spirit of life? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Right? I'm telling you, things are about to change in your life drastically. You're going to start to see things happen at an amazing, an alarming rate. I'm totally convinced of it. We get this right. You're going to see things in terms of our destiny and the will of the Lord snowball. Amen? Right? Everyone say Zoe life. Right? This is eternal life, which I believe it's almost akin to the glorified, resurrected body. Right? We're pushing, we're pressing into that. Right? And so we want to push towards the redemption of this body, this flesh, totally subjugated. Amen? The saying is true, on, first, on page 3. Your thinking determines who you are. Not so, right? Proverbs 23, verse 7, A says, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. We often quote this verse, As a man thinks in his heart, so, so is he. The literal Hebrew rendering is this. Check it out. I've studied this intensively in this week. The, the literal Hebrew rendering of this verse is, is this. As a man reckons in his soul, so is he. As a man thinks within the domain of his soul, so is he. Ultimately, the mind of the soul must be transformed to think like that of the mind of a renewed spirit and not like the mind of the flesh. The true battle is for domination of the mind of the soul by the Holy Spirit in the spirit of man versus the spirit of this world Via the things or the lusts of the world, which are the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. Whichever realm you feed will win. Whichever realm you starve will lose. So are you spiritual? Are you natural? Or are you carnal? Simply a matter of where are you setting your mind and how you're thinking. What are you filling your mind with? Right? You can think spiritually, think naturally, or think carnally. As a man thinks, so easy. What defines you in either one of three respects is your thinking. In your soul, as a man thinks and reckons in his soul, so easy. So the spiritual man must bring his soul into dominance. His soul into subjection, sorry. To the dictates of the Holy Spirit working via his spirit. Right? The mind, the mind, the fleshly mindset on carnality. Actually, I believe this is what it does. And I'll show this to you next week. We'll talk about the leanness of the soul. It, it shrivels, leanness makes more. It like almost shrivels up the soul to a place of powerlessness. It disempowers the soul to follow the dictates of the spirit. Carnality does that to the soul. Carnality... Um, it like hits, it bangs, bangs, erodes the power of the soul to say yes to the dictates of the Spirit. 
Right? The battle is either won or lost in the mind of the soul. Hmm? Now let's talk about carnality. Let me just talk about this one verse quickly. I love this verse, eh? 1 Corinthians 6.17 He who is joined, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Please remember this verse. If I'm joined to the Lord, then I'm one spirit with him. Right? He the spirit operating in and through my spirit. It is possible, now this word join is a very interesting word. It, the Greek is kalio or kaloi. It literally means to glue together, to make, to cohere. Tell your neighbor, my spirit is glued to the spirit of the Lord. You see, that is the battle. The, the, the spirit, you, I like the word one, yeah. The, one, the word one, one is one spirit. The whole idea in the Greek is that you are joined, you become glued, cohere, adhere, to the degree where there's no distinction between the two. So my spirit becomes one with the spirit of the Lord. Right? And that is the place we want to be, not so. So tight with God. So connected. When his spirit just whispers, my spirit is so enmeshed, intertwined, I don't know what word to use, glued with his spirit, it's a powerful force. And my spirit from that platform says to the mind of the soul of Randolph, you will submit to that principle you've just heard from the word comes as spiritual words to you. Right? And so the mind of my soul says, yes, pass. Yes, pass. Why? It's not just my spirit, not just a human spirit, it's a human spirit soul, one with the spirit of the Lord. That is why if you try this thing on your own, it's not going to work. You're going to need the aid of the Holy Ghost. Eh? Right? I got new, you know, you know, I wake up in the morning and I go wherever I drive. It's like I'm feeling different about myself. It's like, I'm one spirit with the Lord. People see me, they see the spirit of the Lord. This is like, when you see it, you don't see two people. You see one, the idea in the Greek. So intertwined. Um, and we'll demonstrate this also, maybe two weeks from now. There's so many things to clarify. I'm just throwing principles out. I'll walk you through this later. Okay? You know, it's possible, like in, in Acts, it says, they laid hands on Paul and, was it Barnabas? Acts 13? Right? The, the, the five of them, the leadership, they laid hands upon them, and they sent them out. Next verse says, so being sent out by the Holy Ghost. Who sent who? Did they send, or did the Holy Ghost send? They, they acted, but their actions were so accurate, the writer of the book of Acts says, but the Holy Ghost sent them. The Holy Ghost sent them. And Ananias and Sapphira, what did Peter say to them? You have lied against the Holy Spirit. But they lied to Peter. I says, no, you've lied against the Spirit. Peter's Spirit and the Holy Spirit so one. You lie to me, you lie against the Spirit. Hmm? And there are many other examples of this principle Washed throughout the word. Amen. Tell your neighbor, assert this for yourself. Tell your neighbor, my spirit is one with the spirit of the Lord. My spirit is one with the spirit of the Lord. But you know what, brethren, the only thing that's going to rival and erode that gluedness is carnality. It's going to. Do you know this verse? I'll read it to you shortly. Where this verse is, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him is a verse smack bang in the middle of a couple of verses 
where Paul is talking about the works of the flesh and immorality. Right? So you must just bear that in mind. I like this verse in 2 Kings 18 verse 6. This is about Hezekiah. For he clung to the Lord. Right? This word cling is the Septuagint's Old Testament Hebrew equivalent to the Greek word for joints. Right? And Hezekiah was so one. When it says he clung to the Lord, it means he was so enmeshed, so joined, so united as one with, with the Lord. Now let's look. Go to the next two pages. I'm going to fly now. I'm not going to comment now. I'm going to read the scriptures to you. Amen? Are we all, don't you feel like, you feel like well, I'm in a fighting mood tonight. Amen? I said, no, no, no. i got to get my spirit man so full, so one, so, so tight with God, so full with the word. And I want to get so strong in the spirit. Next time I'm faced with the temptation in my flesh, guess what? I know who's going to win. No temptation presented to me will gain ascendancy over me. Why? My spirit man was so one, so joined, so tight with the Lord. Okay? Let's look at the works of the flesh. Now, the issue of carnality and these expressions is extremely broad. I mean, um, it'll actually take us a separate study to study carnality as a theme. But its expressions, even its, its meaning essentially, is complex. But what I'm going to do now, in the Bible, there's various listings of works of the flesh. Let's read a few. For example, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, verse 15, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its, its lusts. But the one who does the will of, the, of God lives for ever. Galatians 5 verse 19 to 22 says, Now the deeds of the flesh, you can write the carnality, or the carnal man, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are. These are works of the flesh that rival the powerful position of a spirit-imbued, word-illuminated spirit. They are immorality. Now please, as we, as we go to these brethren, even if you're guilty of something, repent while I'm reading it. We've got no time to even pray now. It's like you just quickly so we can go on. Amen? It's like I don't even have an altar call or whatever. You read it, you, 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 you. the Holy Ghost convicts you, say, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. Let's go on. Right? Immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Can I give you time to repent for this one? There might be a lot of us here. (laughs) Disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing. Carousing is like loud mouth, lively party. With drunkenness. And things like these, or there are many others, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious, brethren. You, 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 you practice. Practice means it's customary, it's habitual with you, it's part of your, who you are. You practice 
don't think that you are going to inherit the kingdom. In fact, your kingdom citizenry is in question. Ephesians 5, 1-5 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ also loved you and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice as God to God as a fragrant aroma. But, and here's the list, immorality, any kind of impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper amongst the saints. There must also be no filthiness and silly talk. This will purge your conversation and the way you joke. No coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and his God. Serious. Colossians 3, 1 to 10. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, whenever you read the word therefore, always ask what is it therefore? Right? Therefore means, if this is your legacy, this is what you... Your life hidden Christ with God. Uh, setting your mind on things above. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. If that is the case, therefore, consider your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them also you once walked. So some of us walked in this at one stage when you were living in them. But now, you won't say but now. Circle those two words. But now, you, have, you also put them aside. This is a very important statement. Put aside. I'll talk about that shortly. Put them aside. The following. Anger, wrath, malice, or malicious intent, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Right? Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-12 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Please circle deceived. Because there are many people thinking that they can inherit the kingdom in the house of God, but they will not. It's a, it's a deception of foot. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, or effeminate, or homosexuals. I mean, those two problems are significant in the world today. The effeminate and homosexuals. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, Paul says to Corinthians, some of you walked in these things before, before you came into the kingdom. But you were washed. And when I read this, I put it on Facebook. Just that statement, that, that phrase. But you were washed. Tell you never thank God for the washing. Thank God for the cleansing. 
Thank God that we've been purged from these things. Not so? Amen? But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Very important verse there. Some things might be technically legal, but not spiritually profitable. Hmm? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any. First Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 1 to 8. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still the more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress or defraud, defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all of these things just as we told you before and we solemnly warned you underline the word solemnly seriously for, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity but in sanctification so he who rejects this is not rejecting man but God who gave who gives his Holy Spirit to to you 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 to 20. Yes, the verse where it's located, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Look at the context. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to the prostitute, notice the word joins is used in the same context. So the one who has sexual um, relations with a prostitute is joined to her, is one body with her. That's why the sexual act cements people in a very deep level. For he says the two shall become one flesh. But this is not marriage. He had a relationship with the prostitute. Right? But the effect is of a cementing. Right? But one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him flee immorality so if you are joined to the lord and you desire this position of one spirit flee every indication of immorality and in context the immorality spoken of here is sexual immorality every other sin that man commits is outside the body but the immoral man sins against his own body or do you not know that the body is the temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your, in your body. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become careless, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, 
If indeed you have heard him and you have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former, everyone say former. This is the way things were. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Notice the dual thing. Lay aside that so you can be renovated and renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness, in holiness of the truth. Therefore, lay aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of his body. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. I should have highlighted that one. Don't give the devil a chance. He will take it if you provide the opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who is in need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Can you see this? The, the, the preoccupation with works of the flesh, who does it grieve? And with this Holy Spirit working, he's touching base with your spirit. Right? And these, the, the, the carnal man is always at war, we said in Galatians. This, these expressions, war against the spirit. The spirit is warring against the carnal man for ascendancy and dominance over the mind of the soul. Where were we? Let's read verse 31. Okay, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has also forgiven you. First Peter 2.1 says, So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander. Can you see this? And there are many other portions of Scripture. I just gave you a cursory overview in the New Testament of Paul's writings in particular, of his understanding of carnality and the fleshly nature and how this is warring against and it attacks the joint glued position of the Holy Spirit to your spirit for dominance. Sad thing is this. You will never inherit the kingdom if these things are not overcome. Amen? We'll show you how. It's not all bad news. Amen. We'll show you how these things work. Amen. Let's go on. Let's look at the effects of carnality <clears throat> upon the soul then. Carnality reduces the soul's ability to receive spiritual things through the hearing of spiritual words spoken from the word of the Lord. Now, I've spoken to you about double-mindedness. Remember this vacillation? Now look, look at how James in James 4.8 describes the position of this double-mindedness. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So I wrote in your notes the state of double-mindedness that is the subtle rivalry between the mind of the spirit versus the mind of the soul for dominance 
is essentially an impure condition. You can see it? Why does he say, purify your hearts, you double-minded? The fact that you're vacillating means your heart's impure. Right? Contextually, he's saying, purify your hearts, you, you double-minded. Okay? Purify your hearts, you will vacillate. Right? The, the heart must be purified. Right? Matthew 5, 8 says, only the pure in heart will, will see God. The state of one's heart has a significant influence upon one's capacity to, to see and understand spiritual things. And so I really want to encourage you to keep your heart pure. Only the pure in heart will, will, will see God. Right? I want to talk briefly about uncircumcised ears. We're dealing about hearing, not so? Hearing spiritual words from the realm of the Spirit. In Acts 7 verse 51, this is part of Stephen's defense. He said to them, you men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and in ears. Right? Always resisting what? Or who? You always resist the Holy Spirit. Here the Spirit comes and He wants to speak, communicate God's intent. So He says, the thing that's going to resist the Holy Spirit's joining to your spirit and speaking spiritual words, there's going to be resistance to that if the heart and the ears are uncircumcised. Now what is circumcision? In the natural, it's a cutting away of the foreskin of a male's penis. Symbolically, it's used to indicate in the scripture in the New Testament, works of the flesh. So there, 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 there are many descriptions many scriptures which indicate this, that God was not after physical circumcision. God was after the circumcision of the, the heart. Right? And in this version, the heart, in this verse, the heart and the ears. If you think of natural circumcision as an extra layer of skin, right, over the male penis, for example, that needs to be cut away for various reasons. With Abram, circumcision was a sign physical external sign of a covenant, an agreement that God, a promise that God made to him, an external sign of the commitment to the covenant, right? Um, for us, um, we are circumcised, not in the flesh. Even Galatians, he says, neither is circumcision or, or uncircumcision anything, right? But God is after a circumcision of the heart and the ears. So if circumcision has got to Flesh, it relates to flesh that needs to be removed. Think of uncircumcised ears as ears blocked because of flesh that blocks and prevents hearing. What is that flesh? Everything we've read up to this point. Works of the, of the carnal, fleshly nature that subconsciously have the effect of dulling our ears to the voice of the Spirit. Hmm? Remember what did, what, did, what did the writer of the book of Hebrews say to the Hebrew Christians in Hebrews 5? I have many things to say about Melchizedek. Right? But I cannot now. Why? Because you are dull of ear. You are dull of hearing. Right? So, it's amazing. eh? Let me just say this to you. Get your life pure. You'll 
Wake up suddenly hearing God at a new level. Your carnality prevents the voice. You can be under the sound of voice, but not hear it. Because obsession with the carnal nature means you have not circumcised your, your ears to hear. Look at Jeremiah 6.10, an amazing verse of scripture. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they might hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. Look at this. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord to them is an object of scorn, and they take no pleasure in it. This verse spells it out, not so. So those who, listen carefully. The uncircumcised, in this, this verse is very important. It says, the uncircumcised ear cannot listen to the word. And notice the effect. To the man who is excessively carnal, given over to unbridled, unchecked fleshly endeavors, can sit under the sound of great preaching, great word, but he cannot listen to it. Right? In fact, he will even get to the place where he will remove himself from under the sound of the voice because he regards the word as an object of scorn. God forbid, you know, when I read this verse, Lord, I never ever want to get to this place where my view of your word is, I disdain it. Right? And you will even find yourself, some people will remove themselves physically from under the sound of speaking simply because of a preoccupation with the flesh. It's like, you see, because only the spiritual man loves the word and relishes it. The carnal man setting his mind on the flesh, uncircumcised ear, he's even now even starts to disesteem this precious commodity, pre-existent matter in God called word. He starts to devise it, object of scorn. I take no pleasure in it. Hmm? I take no pleasure in it. You will check yourself, not so. Maybe just do a review of your life quickly. In times when um, you were perhaps not, uh, given over to some fleshly expression, it's like when you hear this, the word, it's almost like you've lost your love, your joy for it. Right? It has its effect on your life, not so. Right? We must return to our first love in that respect. Look at the next page quickly. I just put these scriptures to remind you from our previous session, this is from session 10, first love, of the spiritual man who delights in the word. Remember I said to you in that session, um, if you want to obey the word, the first port of call is to delight in the word. Delight in the word is the facilitating factor to obeying the word. You cannot obey in that which you don't delight in. Psalm 119 verse 35, make me, make me walk in the path of your commandment. Why? I delight in it. Right? The uncircumcised ear does not regard or delight in the word. Job 23 verse 12. I have not departed from the command of his lips. Why? Because I've treasured his words in my mouth more necessary than my food. Right? And then you can read Deuteronomy 30 verse 8, 11, 14, 16 and 20. I won't do that. That's from a previous uh, study. Go to the bottom of the page. The heading where it says, carnality corrupts and defiles, defiles the, the soul. Page 8. I want to demonstrate this from the life of Lot. Right? So, what I'm demonstrating is this. Please watch. You, you, the carnal man is here, obsessed by fleshly pursuits. 
uncircumcised ear cannot listen to the word of God anymore. Right? He's given over to the flesh. The flesh is fighting against the spirit. The spirit is fighting against the flesh. The mind of the soul is caught between these two. So the mind set on the flesh leads to death and corruption. But the mind set on the spirit leads to life and peace. Another, another verse in Romans says, leads to eternal, eternal life. So the man who is obsessed by fleshly pursuits, basically, listen carefully. You see, because the soul is in the middle of these two extremes. Right? The soul, the spirit wants, the Holy Spirit working through your spirit wants to lead the soul. The, the, the mindset on the flesh wants to subject the soul and the mind of the soul to its way. Right? Not just that. It further wants to defile and corrupt the soul to have the total inability to receive spiritual things. Now let's look at this, how this played itself out in the life of Lot. Remember, Abram was Lot's uncle, but operated as a father. Why do I say that? Because the name Abram means high father or exalted father. For our purposes tonight, Abram represents a fathering principle. Right? Abram represents a fathering principle. Lot removed himself from outside the range of Abram's speaking. The separation that took place. The separation occurred because of strife and tension. Now what is strife? We just read it. It's one of the manifestations of carnality. The strife was not between these two. And this is a very, I just hear the Lord, not in my notes, but the strife wasn't between Abram and Lot. Strife was between their respective herdsmen. Both have large quantities of, of, of livestock. So, and the, the, the area was limited. So there was squabbles between the keepers of the, fly, of, of the livestock. Right? And Lot showed no inclination to resolve the matter. The conflict, the tension between the herdsmen. Abraham suggested that they part because of, this, of the situation. Lot allowed strife between others to lead to a separation of him and somebody who represented a fathering principle. You know, I've seen this thing play itself out in so many instances, instances as I've grown up through life. How that Sean might have an issue with me, not because we have an issue, some others are having an issue outside of us, right? And because he has a view on that, and it might be a view that is slightly different to my perception of administrating that, he will then break rank with me. But it's got nothing to do with us. The fight was outside of us. And Lot does this. The strange thing is, you know, it's easy to do that because you don't value the voice or the representation of the, of the principle, right? What does Lot's name mean, by the way? Lot's name means failed, covered, right? One of the root meanings of Lot is also myrrh. What is myrrh? That's in your notes. Myrrh is an is an, is a indication of bitterness. So Lot was, by the meaning of his name, also beset by bitterness, whatever reason, right? We don't know the circumstances in Ur of the Chaldees 
Because when they, Abraham left, Lot tagged along with him. So this man was racked by, by bitterness. I have a whole study on how bitterness frustrates grace. Right? Bitterness will frustrate the grace of God in you. Right? And where does bitterness affect? Bitterness affects the emotion of the soul. So Lot's soul was fraught with bitterness. The eye of his soul was blind to what Abram represented. Spiritual father who can communicate words that are spirit and life to him. He allows a situation of tension and strife in relationships to separate him from life source, the fathering principle. He shows no respect for Abram because he chose the best land first. Right? He also shows how fleshly and how uh, of a, almost like a, a natural carnal man he was because he says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the land was on a particular side of the Jordan was well watered everywhere. So he's a man that makes decisions based on his own reason and logic, his appraisal of the best parts of the land. No, not relying upon a word from his spirit to inform his decision. He looks at the circumstances and he allows his world to inform his decision. It says, and Lot lifted up his eyes. Right? Remember after Lot separates from Abram, the Bible says, and the Lord said to Abram, now Abram, you lift up your eyes. The first lifting of the eyes, it says, and Lot, motivated by the internal uh, um, misguided uh, uh, ambitions of his soul, he lifts up his own eyes and he saw. Then, when he separates, spirit speaks to Abram's spirit. And Abram looks, lifts up his eyes as a result of a command from the spirit to his spirit. Right? Two different economies. Long and short of it, Lot, the Bible says, chooses the best land, but the sad thing is, where is his tent position toward? Sodom. It says, and he, he chose the best land, but he positions his tent towards carnality. Positions his view to the flesh. Positions his view to the base natures of fallen man. Sodom. You know what the issue of Sodom is. Right? Unbridled, excessive, fleshly expression. Particularly of a sexual nature. Now, here is Second Peter 2 verse 6. Peter, amazingly, eh? Don't play with brew, Peter. Peter got a perception on Lot. <laughs> Peter writes about him. Peter says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered what? You should underline the word righteous. Calls him, he was a righteous man, says, Righteous Lot. Who was oppressed, circle the word online, oppressed, by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling, now it's very important you get this, dwelling among them. Um, when you, it's amazing, one of, you, one of you must do a study on Lot's life from beginning to end. Right? All, every mention of Lot. You'll see this progression. He positions his tent towards Sodom. Very soon he's living in the culture of the city. So the ethos and the custom of the city, is his context, his environment now, is the greatest impact upon him. And notice, it impacts his righteousness. Called him righteous, Lot. 
So this, this carnality is impacting him. Right? Impacting him. Verse 8. For that righteous man dwelling among them, this is says, tormented his righteous what? What, the, what area of, of, of Lot was seriously affected, defiled? His soul. He's righteous, but his soul is tormented. From day to day, circle the word seeing, circle the word hearing. Two things, eye gate and ear gate. Seeing and hearing the lawless deeds of Sodom. Let me just say this. Tell you, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember this old Sunday school song we just sing? Right? Now listen carefully. That's why I say, I mean, yes, only two sort of senses of the physical body. The eye, we know there are five, but in this particular portion it says, through the eye and through the ear, through those two senses, the, the, the soul of righteous Lot was severely, I like the way thinking James says, it was vexed. His soul was vexed or his soul was tore. His soul was tormented. Just quickly flip over to page 9. We'll come back to page 8. Look at the, the, the Greek words for oppressed and tormented. It says, his, Lot was oppressed by the filthy conduct and his soul was tormented. The word oppressed in the Greek is kataponeo, which means to tire down with toil, to exhaust with labor. Hence signifies to afflict and oppress. Much distressed, sore distressed. Um, Only a person who has experienced this will know this kind of torment and oppression. The Greek word for torment is bazanizo. Even sound oppressive and torment for that word. Bazanizo. Torment me. Bazanizo. To rub the touchstone, the dark stone used for testing metals. To put to the test. To examine by torture. Denotes torture, torment, distress. Implying a degree of pain. You know what? If, If you were to make a movie on Lot's life and you want to depict this graphically in the man's mind. I see it like you put the carrot on him waking up from bed one morning. He is not himself. His soul, he's tormented, he's oppressed, he's vexed. There's an anguish within him. That's the effect on, on this man. Go back to page 8. What I want to focus on quickly, just, just fleetingly, I want to focus on this because of time. We need to wrap up. <clears throat> These two things are very important. Please, what you hear and what you see. Jesus said, take heed what you what you hear, and particularly what you allow yourself to, to view. Right? The greatest advantage we can do to, for our children is to save them from seeing that which they should not see, and to save them from hearing that which they should not hear. We must really pray that the Lord keep them, and guard them, and, 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 and guide them. Right. Look at these, these, these verses. Psalm 101 verse 3. David said, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It will not fasten what? It's grip on me. He says, nothing worthless or vile will come before my eyes. I, will, I won't set it before my eyes, David said. The BB version says, I will not put any evil thing before my eyes. 
King James, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. NIV, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The NIV says, I will not look with approval upon anything that's vile. Very important. It's vile, you look with approval. Right? In your notes, I put, right, look at the bottom, right at the bottom. Do not derive entertainment value. That is via television, radio, or internet, or reading material. From something which God abhors. For example, pornography. Right? Equates to you, this equates to you condoning and approving that thing. So, the point I want to make is, if you derive entertainment value from looking at something that is against God's law, or God's principles, or God's nature, you can't say it's pure entertainment for me. No, you can't derive entertainment value from something that God is abhorrent to God. You might just think, oh, it's, it's innocent, it's nothing, what's a big deal? Right? It was a big deal. It's a very big deal. Because what you see, in terms of Lot, what you see will torment your soul. I don't know whether Lot was overtly involved in this. I don't think so. Because God sent an angel to save him and his family. Not so. But the fact that he was in the culture, it says, while he did not participate, he was affected by what he saw he was affected by what he heard. So the eye gate and the ear gate needs to be carefully, carefully guarded. Look at the next verse. Next page, sorry. Job 31 verse 1. Yes, 1 for the men. And this applies to women equally. Right? Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a virgin? The Amplified. Now, the covenant, what does the word covenant mean? Contract agreement, not so. The NIV says, I've dictated a covenant, an agreement to my eyes. How then could I look lustfully upon a girl? Contemporary English version says, I promised myself never to stare with desire at a young woman. The Message Bible says, I made a solemn pact with myself Never to undress a girl with my eyes. The, the New International Revised Version says, I made an agreement with my eyes. I promised not to look at another woman with sexual longing. Okay? This is very important. Because the scripture says that you don't have to externally commit an act of adultery. You can commit it in your, in your heart. In, in grace, there's a higher requirement for us. So this applies equally to both males and women. So tell the person next to you, make this covenant with your eyes. You know, when I think of our young people, I'm so passionate about preserving our young people. If we can prevent them, because I guarantee you, most of the problem of adults in reference to some of these things we've been talking about tonight was because of premature exposure to them at a very, very early age. Not so? And so I really want to encourage us, if we can preserve the integrity. I'm so glad a lot of, some of the young people are here tonight. Amen? Do yourself a big, big favor. Save yourself a whole lot of trouble. And just keep what you see pure. And keep what you hear pure. Chris, Kerry, all of you here. Um, the, uh, the, uh, 
place. Is place. Yeah, there's something place. Mark Pele. A place. There's more young people here. Keegan. Stand up quickly. Talk to you. Keegan. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to everyone. Keegan's just a representation of the young people. It's Clayton here as well. Do yourselves a massive favor in life. Just anything you, you're called upon at school, maybe in your context, and you view it and you know in your heart that's not right. Just assert yourself. Say, no, I will not. Because you know now what I, what I see and what I hear is going to impact my soul. And when my soul is defiled, what's going to happen? Even when the Spirit of the Lord speaks to my spirit, my soul can't follow because it's totally disempowered. Right? Sit down. We all agree? Amen? So make this covenant with your eyes. Okay? Not to look lustfully upon a young virgin or young girl. Right, let's go over quickly, just wrap this up. Here's, a, here's an interesting verse in, um, at the top of, pa- of page 10. The, the flesh wars against the soul. Here's an interesting verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to do what? Abstain, keep away from fleshly lusts. Why? Peter says because they're fighting against your Waging war against your soul. The word war in the Greek is stratagomai, which means to lead an army and to wage war. Your flesh is leading an army against your soul. Imagine how graphically this, this Greek word is depicting these things. Eh? How, how graphic this is. Right? And what is the import? The imperative is abstain from it. Listen carefully. If you know the nature of its effect, you will abstain from it. If you know the, the result, if you know how lethal this thing is, you will abstain from it. Not so? Right? If I have an anaconda in my room at the back here, and I say, would like to go, <laughs> just maybe sleep there tonight, alongside her. You'll say, no. My proximity to that is going to negatively impact me. Right? Because by nature, it, it, it's designed to see me as an enemy. Right? And I'm saying, the Bible says, love not the world. Don't develop a love for the thing that's designed to kill you. Designed to negatively uh, affect you. Okay? I read an interesting um, post on Facebook in the week. It says, no man in his right mind will commit adultery. If he knew the full ramifications of one single act. Right? And this, the writer, or I forget the person who put the post up, says something to the effect. If you had to spell out all the consequences and let the man sign on the dotted line and say, no problem, I realize what I'm going through, no problem, I'll do it, sign it, I'm going for it. Right? And he, he lists some interesting repercussions of, he says things like, your reputation will be lost, your ministry will be lost, you'll lose your wife, you'll lose credibility, you'll lose your family, um, you'll be marginalized, sign on the dotted line and proceed with the act. No one in their right mind is going to go for it, knowing that the repercussions are going to be lethal. So please bear this in mind. It's war. And the Bible uses wage war. This is not like something like, this is warfare at a serious level. So knowing the impact, we are more, more sober. Right? Quickly. I'm not going to go through much on James because we've said this before. 
James, remember in, in our earlier sessions, James 1. I spoke to you um, about verse 21. Look at verse 21. Therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, do what? Receive the word implanted, which is able to do what to the soul? Able to save the soul. The word is able to aid is able to save the soul only when you do the first part of verse 21. The first part of verse 21 is, you lay aside filthiness, you lay aside all that remains of wickedness. And I feel the spirit of the Lord prompting us tonight. Circle the word remains there. I'm saying to all of us that are present tonight and all that are under the sound of my voice via the audio recording, I'm saying perhaps the Lord is saying to us, there are still things that remain of wickedness. The word remain is like, there's a residue. There's, a, there's like a little indication that must be dealt with. And the Lord's saying, deal with it knowing the gravity of the warfare that is at, that is at stake. Right? You, there's much to lose. But if you win it, there's much to gain. Amen? There's much to gain. Hallelujah. Amen. Please read the whole of James chapter 1, verse 14 to 25. Look at my comments after that. I just, I'm just so we have time because we want to have a brief time of fellowship on some tea and coffee quickly afterwards. Let me encourage you as we end. Look at verse 11. Page 11. Let me encourage you. Not that I've discouraged you up to this point. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Let me encourage you in the Lord. Right? So, I've been right through the scriptures and we look at more scriptures next week that say this. You do your part and God will do His part. You abstain from fleshly lust. You put off the old nature. You put on Christ. It's like when you take the first step, God comes alongside you to aid you. I'll show you that more next week, but just for now, suffice it to say the following. Listen carefully. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 to 25. King James says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I like that. Look at that next week. Appearance of evil. Stay away from it. It just has to look not right. Just keep far away. <laughs> you may not know everything involved. If it doesn't look right, doesn't feel right, keep away from it. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And yes, the verse 23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, what? Blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who called you, who will also do it. New American Standard, same portion. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. I pray your spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless or be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithfully is he who calls you and he will also bring it to pass. Check out this verse is framed right firstly he says um, prove all things examine all things carefully so i must test and examine all things and once i've tested and examined all things i must do two things hold fast to that which is good and abstain from any indication of evil or fleshly it's a decision that we all have to make after a, after examination and proving all things hold to the good reject and abstain from the evil there's a promise, not a promise, a prayer. Paul says, I pray, I pray this, 
that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he makes a promise. Faithful is he. Who has called you, who will also do it. Tell your neighbor, God will do it. I know some of you are sitting there saying, man, this is a tall order. This is the fight of life. You know what? Faithful is he. Paul's emphasis is that if you just do your part, you just assess everything, hold on to the good, and just deliberately stay away from that path, then he says, my prayer for you is all three dimensions be preserved entire, complete, and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, by the way, God is faithful. <laughs> the faithfulness of God. Faithful is he who will also who call you, and faithful is he who will do it. In closing, Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not so in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You do the first part, you work it out, then he says, oh, as you do that, it is God who works in you. Right? It's amazing. You draw near to the Lord and he draws near to you. God always waits for an initiative on, on, on your behalf. Romans says that we must by the Spirit mortify the deeds of the flesh. Not in your own strength. Right? Everyone say by the Spirit. Talk about it next week. How the Spirit helps you deal with the flesh. It says you by the Spirit mortify the deeds of the, the flesh. I guarantee, just tonight leave with the resolve. Saying in this whole economy of the primacy of the word of the Lord, when he speaks spiritual words that I must capture with my spirit, being joined as one with the Lord, one spirit with him, and I lead my soul, the mind of my soul, into acts of obedience. I'm not going to allow the dictates of carnality to prevent that process. Right? I'm not going to allow my, my ears to be uncircumcised. The inability to listen to the word of the Lord. Romans says, the carnal man, the mindset on the flesh, is not able to submit to the law of God. I don't want that ever to be the case. But I really want to encourage you, the more we obey, the more our soul is purified. Right? The more we obey, the more our soul is purified. First Peter 1 and verse 22. Amen? Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's very encouraging to us. Even as we've scanned um, the broad expression of carnality in your word, and we see the same fight that Paul experienced, the things we want to do, we cannot, the things we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. But we thank you that you can deliver us from the body of this death. Thank you that by the Spirit that lives in us, that we can mortify the deeds of the flesh. Call us in your word, Father, to, to prove all things, to examine all things, and to hold fast to that which is good. And to abstain from all forms of evil. We do this. Tonight we make a resolve and a decision. We do this, Father. We want to do this. And I thank you that my whole spirit, I affirm it, not just as a prayer that Paul made, I affirm it as a promise that you made based on your faithfulness, that my whole spirit, my whole soul, and my whole body will be preserved blameless at the day of your coming. I thank you that because this is a promise in your word, I thank you that this is possible. 
And I thank you that surely it shall be attained. I pray grace to everyone who has been under the sound of your, of your speaking tonight. I pray grace, empowerment to walk obediently this word out in their world, Father, to be their portion. I thank you that you are faithful. Just lift your hands for one moment. Just thank God for his faithful. Never mind your internal struggle. The fact that he promised, as a promise in his word, that your whole spirit, your whole soul and body is going to be preserved blameless. Not just blameless, it says complete and entire at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're going to be the spiritual man, not the natural, not the carnal. You're going to be the obedient son, not a son of, of disobedience. You're going to experience the Zoe life of the Holy Spirit. The life that is above all other forms of life. The Zoe life, eternal life of God. I thank you for these possibilities. We present now even Father, our body is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our spiritual act of worship. We worship you, Father. We bless you. We thank you. Our desire always is to please you in whatever we do and whatever we say. They that are in the flesh cannot please God, but they who sow to the Spirit shall after the Spirit reap life eternal. I thank you for these promises. In Jesus' name, amen.